Hello everybody, I'm Dwayne Mancini and welcome to another episode of MedTech Money brought to you by Project MedTech. If you need anything from us or like to suggest a future guest, you can email us at info at projectmedtech.com. If you enjoy this podcast, please subscribe and leave a review and you can always visit our website www.projectmedtech.com or follow us on LinkedIn. If you are enjoying this content, don't forget to check out our other podcasts by searching Project MedTech on your favorite podcast platform or by heading to our website. Project MedTech is an interview style podcast in the medtech industry where guests share stories, advice, pitfalls, trends, and innovations. In this episode, our host, Giovanni Loricella, and our guest, Tom Gerhardt, from Recross Cardio, discuss who he is and what his company is doing, what it is like being a medtech entrepreneur in South Africa, his journey of being thrown into raising capital for the first time, the importance of getting outside your comfort zone in order to grow, how his days change so often and are never the same, who he looked for in his partners and investors, and so much more. So without further ado, Giovanni's discussion with Tom Gerhardt. Tom, I am pumped to be on this podcast with you today. This is the MedTech Money Podcast Series, powered by Project MedTech and sponsored by Lifeblood Capital. The reason why I'm pumped and excited is you and I have known each other forever. We met in Israel at ICI in 2014. I've actually been a part of your journey, moved you up to Europe. You ended up over in Israel, now back in South Africa. We're going to bust open that whole story. And... Um, also learn about your capital raises being a first-time founder and also going through a capital raise for the first time. So learning about the grinding experience and some of those aha moments and also a lot of the challenges that you may not have been aware about before. So the reason why we're here is I've talked to med tech entrepreneurs like yourself as well as investors around the world and now this time in South Africa. I've discovered there's real no silver bullet specific formula or even magic about how to raise or invest capital in medtech, which when we get to your story, I'm sure you can attest. So my goal here is I wanted to extract insights to demystify this process and help medtech innovators who can benefit from this information. And so we have an audience of medtech entrepreneurs and investors, certainly around the world. And what I'd like to do is share your stories and advice with what I imagine is that first time founder or CEO like yourself and has no clue what lies ahead of them on this journey of raising capital. So I thought the best place to start is learning from experienced professionals like yourself who just went through the war <laughs> and have a lot of war stories to share. So once again, the discussion here, we're gonna focus on a few things. First and foremost, who you are, the company that you're building right now. What is it like being based in South Africa and building that company, but also some of those international ties that you have, whether it's to Europe, the United States or Israel, and how that's actually helping you build this organization. Um, and then most importantly, what the hell happens when you go from having a career that doesn't involve raising money, you get thrown into this fire of having to raise money for the first time and what that journey and experience actually feels like. So I'm sure a lot of entrepreneurs who may have not raise capital and are thinking about it or just about to enter it, or for all those engineers right now and companies who are thinking about starting their own company someday um, and have never raised capital before, your story is going to help them out. So before we get into all that, I have several open-ended questions that I just wanted to kick off the conversation with. And the first one is, 
the famous question of people and money. So do you believe, based on your experience in your career thus far, that people and money are the lifeblood of a med tech startup? Why or why not? Or would you add anything? Well, an uh, interesting question to start with. Well, first, obviously, Giovanni, uh, great to be on on the podcast with you. And thank you very much for having me. And indeed, we've kind of known each other for a long time as uh, uh, coming up on a decade. And um, uh, as to your question, uh, people and money being the lifeblood of medtech startups, I would I would obviously, and I think many would agree with me to say that that people are uh, 1,000% uh, the lifeblood of medtech startups. You need uh, you know, money to, to grease the wheels. Um, and, uh, and both people and money uh, can make the, the clock tick slower. If you, if you, if you catch my, my drift, they can, you know, speed up development. But really, um, people, you know, experienced, uh, dedicated uh, team members are far more effective at getting, at getting that done. And, and so if, you had to, if I had to pick one, I'd pick people um, um, as, as the number one lifeblood, because really it all kind of, I suppose it all, it all revolves around time. You know, time to market, time to develop a concept, time to 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 prove out your your product, and and uh, and I think people are far more effective at, at at minimizing the time needed to to get there. So, <laughs> I can't wait to bust open your story. But wh- whether it's being from South Africa, the European experience that you had, the Israeli time that you've had, and still connected with, um, you've seen a lot of early stage companies and now you're building one and you've seen how the process of development goes and even whether it's networking and who you meet along the way, but specific to med tech and this regulated environment that we live in, do you believe in luck and how much does luck play into the success of med tech? Luck is, I think it's crucial. Um, I think that there's a significant amount uh, particularly uh, circumstance, for example, uh, and, and that's something that I think we'll, we'll definitely get to, has, has often put me in the right place at the right time. Um, so personally, I've, I've, my entire career has really been focused on, on, on the medtech space. And you know, I know people come into it from, from all sorts of places, um, but from my perspective, I've you know, always been um, driven in, in the medtech space. And so I think that kind of developing the skill set within that space has allowed me to take advantage of opportunities when they came along. And so those opportunities, you know, when you, when you talk about luck, I, I think that that's what we are talking about. We're talking about opportunities coming along. So if, if no opportunities come along, then it's very difficult to find success. Um, so, so, so one needs luck to get those opportunities. But it also needs to be coupled with, uh, with I suppose, that work ethic and, and being willing and able to, to, to take advantage of the opportunities. And also um, doing the requisite work so that you can recognize an opportunity because they're not always clear. So I think it's a combination of both. Um, I think that it's crucial that that luck is there so that, uh, so that those opportunities come along. And, but it's also really important that, um, that you've done the, your due diligence, you know, you've uh, you know, you've, uh, you've worked hard so that you can take advantage of those opportunities when they do come. I think you brought up a super interesting point that I don't think has been spelled out that clearly before, but recognizing luck and recognizing luck comes with doing the hard work. So 
Couldn't agree with you more on that one. This one, th- this next question is, is, is a little unique, but it's coming from the entrepreneur's perspective, which I, I love that side of it because it's really answering an investor question. Um, but you just went through a capital raise and now you've raised money. So you know who invests, why they invest, et cetera. But from your experience, what do you think is the most investable skill set or characteristic of a medtech entrepreneur? And in other words, what is the one thing that you believe early stage investors look for in every entrepreneur that they invest in, at least from your perspective? Wow, that's a, that's a tough question. Um, what do investors look for, kind of the number one? Um, you know, with, with many first-time entrepreneurs, you know, you can't sell experience. You can't say, I've done this before. So, you know, I, I would, if I was an investor, that's what I would look for. You know, initially, you look for experience, but it's a chicken and an egg thing. So, so I think what they look for is an entrepreneur who is, who's, who's willing to source that experience or that know-how um, elsewhere and outside of, of him or herself. So, uh, if the you know if that if that if you're speaking to those investors, you've got to recognize your own shortcomings. You've got to recognize that you've never developed this specific device before. You've never fulfilled that unmet need, um, and that you need to um, be aware that 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 uh, that a, a team uh, you need that you need to surround yourself with a, a capable team. You know, one uh, people that can can help you on this journey, um, and I think that. That investors, um, that that would be something that they look for. They look for they look for a team, certainly, um, to invest in. Um, but that team is built by by um, by the, the CEO, I suppose, in this case, um, and that, and the network of that CEO and the, and the um, willingness of the CEO to rely on that network. And you're now an official 100% entrepreneur. You're building. And leading a company, you're raising capital for a company. That's an entrepreneur. That's what you're doing now. But throughout your career, you've been involved in early stage startups. So you've always had this entrepreneurial angle for your career that you've built on being a part of small teams, seeing things either move, succeed, or break and fail quickly. So that entrepreneurial spirit has been fully intertwined and woven into your career throughout this whole thing. You know, when you think about joining a Medtronic or a Boston Scientific or an Edwards Life Science or a Johnson & Johnson, just the antithesis of how you've built your career at this very early stage-ness, if you know what you know about being a medtech entrepreneur now, would you do it all over again or would you do something different now knowing what you know about the grind of an entrepreneur? Yeah, that's um, you're right. I have been involved for a long time in early stage companies and um, and and I suppose would I do it all over again? The short answer is yes. I've, I've, I've loved it. I've hated it at times, but in the most part, I, I've loved it. So actually, as a disclaimer, is that I I didn't you know start this from scratch. This this idea that I'm working on now, this this uh, you know recross cardio. This, this came along as a kind of a napkin sketch um, through, you know, I was working with an, an incubator in, in, in Milan. Um, and so I think through that process, 
it wasn't as difficult as it could have been, you know, for like a, for a first time entrepreneur who's trying to kind of do everything themselves. I think it can be an incredibly demanding and, 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 you know, difficult process. And mine was, was somewhat easier. It was somewhat cushioned by, you know, working in uh, early stage through the, uh, through the incubator. Um, but that being said, it, it was, and it's, and it still is, with, with huge ups and downs. I mean, I've spoken to you about them uh, multiple times, um, but I would do it again, uh, certainly. It's, you know, it's been a fantastic learning curve. It's been an incredible opportunity to be my own boss, I, I suppose, so, so to speak. You're never really your own boss. Uh, uh, I suppose that one of the most incredible things, obviously, is the opportunity of, you know, uh, being able to work with people that, that you know, Five years ago, I could never have dreamed of, you know, the, the, of like kind of interfacing with extremely successful, capable, you know, smart people and, and also working um, so, so far out of your comfort zone, you know, uh, as a, you know, we'll get into it, but coming from a kind of a very technical engineering background and then, you know, spreading, um, you know, gaining confidence or gaining experience in, in other aspects of the business and, and in actual fact, all the aspects of the business. Uh, was was super rewarding. So the yes, I would do it again. Um, and I think you said, would I? What would I do differently? Um, I think in the in the short term, if we if we talk just about this opportunity, I don't know what I would do differently now. Well, I mean, there's obviously things that I would just do much faster, but um, and and more simply. But kind of as far as my experience is concerned, you know, I mentioned that I've worked a lot in uh, in, in startup style environments. But in actual fact, my first job was um, was an established, you know, excellent uh, uh, med tech company, which had a you know a huge range of products on the market. And maybe in in hindsight, uh, it would have been good to have to have cut my teeth a little bit more in uh, in an established Medtronic or Boston Scientific um, uh, more than I did. Um, but then on the other hand, you know, they say, you know. Uh, if you uh, that that you should start as soon as possible because that's when you really learn. So um, so I uh, yes I'm sad to say I can't answer your question. <laughs> I don't know which way I would go. If if you had ten lives, you'd probably go the Medtronic one and see how it felt <laughs> all the way through. And if you had another life, maybe you'd just never go into corporate and it would always be entrepreneurship. But exactly I, I think, exactly. I think this ties into my my next question. And I usually. I've asked it several different ways, and, and I think the audience and anyone who follows the podcast somewhat gets the picture at this point about glamour um, of being, whether it's a med tech CEO, entrepreneur, or even being a, a med tech investor, it's all hard work. But, but I think I'm going to add a little bit more color to the question with you this time, and it's the first time I'm doing it. Mm. So I'm going to ask the, the typical question from your perspective, is it glamorous being a med tech CEO as of now, based on all the people who have never been a CEO before and have this vision of grandeur of what it really means to hold that title. So answer that. But I want you to just roll into this story of you're building a company from a napkin set sketch, even if it came from an incubator. What does your week look like? What one direction or 10,000 directions are you getting pulled in from? I mean, coming from engineering and, and designing and developing product to now leading a company that ultimately is responsible for designing and developing a product. As a CEO, what does your responsibilities look like? Tell us what like a week looks like being an early stage med tech CEO. 
what is it? What does my, my week look like? Well, I mean, it, it's changed, um, you know, just over the past few months. Yeah, you know, because, because the business changes so quickly, you know, in the beginning, when you've got the napkin sketch, your, uh, your, your number one task is, um, is you're trying to de-risk that, that idea as quickly as possible to kind of, you know, maybe prove out something, whether it's the, um, the, 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 the unmet need, you know, the clinical needs, or whether you're doing market research, um, whether you're speaking to clinicians, um, or whether you're, you're doing design work. So coming as, uh, and, and that's really where I gravitated towards early, early on. You know that that's where my, my skill set uh, originally lies is is in in product design and development. You know particularly in in, in, clot, in cardiovascular. So so you kind of in the, for the first couple of, um, of months that's where I where I focused. And then when it came to the capital raise, you know once we decided yeah our, our product is is um, is viable, it's got a place in the real world, and it's and the, and there is what we think is a, is a clinical need for this this and we think people will really love this then we thought okay let's get to the, the capital raise and so then the week is completely different i give up all rmd work and um and because it's really you know there's just you who's driving it um well i mean i can't uh, I, I can speak to you later on you know the, the the incubator which is is a fantastic um place to have worked with and and still do and you know they provide enormous support but there's still a lot of the you know the the, the drive, you have to be self-motivated, self-start. And so kind of one week you're doing technical, technical development and the next week you're learning uh, how, to, how to start capital raise and, uh, and you're maybe doing your first pitch, um, uh, which is exhausting and, and, and you, you're doing it wrong. And, um, and, and you realize that pretty early on in your first pitch and how wrong you're doing it. Um, and, then, and then, you know, uh, I suppose, You've mentioned already, and kind of you know where the story is right now. That we successfully closed our our seed round and huge highs, and then the week changes again. Uh, now we're uh, you know we we're building prototypes, and we are um, and we've got a, a team of, of a small team of engineers, and we're working with kind of consultants all over the world, and uh, and and we're really accelerating enormously on the on the product development side, and it's and it's. Um, and it's kind of, uh, you know, working more in, in, in a management role again, you know, and, and, and working with the team. And it's, um, so it changes, you know, uh, week to week and, and month to month, which, which is exciting. That's really uh, one of the things I love the most is, is, that, is that you're always learning and it's always changing. In this, and every week is a challenge, you know. I'm with you. And, and tying that together then, this idea and notion of glamour. I mean, oh, glamour, yeah. every, every time before you were a CEO and you were an engineer and growing your career, I mean, when you thought about being a CEO who was running a med tech company, now yeah. that you are one, is it glamorous? It's, it's, it, oh, sorry. Uh, you know, updating my, my LinkedIn profile was glamorous, you know. <laughs> so it kind of, I suppose it depends on what you define as, as glamour. So like, um, you know, it's glamorous the, the people I get to work with. I'm working, you know, some of the, the time I'm pitching to, to you know, billionaire uh, success stories in the med tech space and I'm getting to know them. And, you know, I can, I can WhatsApp, uh, I can WhatsApp, uh, you know, people in the, in the industry who are my heroes. Um, uh, and that to me is, is definitely glamorous. 
you know, like being able to speak with longtime CEOs, kind of serial investors, entrepreneurs. I think that that, that that's amazing, and that feels pretty good. Um, and kind of what I what I dreamed of. But uh, but the, on the flip side of that coin is that you know you're also made aware on a daily basis of all the aspects of business that you have no clue. And, uh, and, uh, and that's definitely not glamorous. Um, and um, yeah, you know, it's, uh, uh, and, you know, you, you kind of have to do everything yourself. So, so I, you know, I, I spend, uh, I was doing a lot of kind of in-house R&D. And so, you know, sometimes I'm speaking to these, these uh, heroes of the industry. And then later on, I'm just cleaning my lab. <laughs> and like, uh, and, you know, and, and purchasing materials and, um, so yeah, it's uh, it's definitely there's parts of it that that feel great, uh, and then there's uh, but it's you know you you're humbled also at the at, by the end of every day I think. And now getting to it, Recross Cardio that's the the name of your company, your startup that you're building now. What does the name of your company mean? How did you get to the name Recross Cardio? So Recross is um, so we're a private, uh, we're venture backed. Um, medical device company, and um, we're headquartered in, in in Delaware in the US, and, and we're developing a recrossable uh, septal occluder, and that's really what, what you know where the name comes from is like you know simply put, our our technology closes septal defects using a, a recrossable uh, polymeric skin, so we we kind of creating like a prosthetic septum that is recrossable so um, that clinicians can can close lesions in in, in the septum you know, while maintaining um, transeptal access with the kind of acutely and, and and as we test out in, in, in the chronic case and you know we think that that this is uh, this has got huge uh, application with the you know the the, the massively increasing um, number of transeptal technologies that are coming onto the market, and the increased uh, you know number of procedures that's that are that are being uh, conducted, and, and the kind of the, you know the development of the space. It's all kind of um, as as options become available to patients and with aging populations. You know we we really believe that this is going to be a um, an, a need and, and it exists and it currently isn't. And so that's where the where the name comes from, and and that's the product that we're developing. So everyone listening in now, the man behind the voice, Tom Gerhardt, currently in Cape Town, South Africa. Who are you? Where do you come from? Where have you built your life and career academics? Tell us the story of who you are all the way leading up to how you became CEO of Recross Cardio. And then once we get there, Let's talk about Recross Cardio and, and what you guys are building. But first and foremost, let's start with the man behind the voice. Who are you, Tom? Well, um, I suppose how far back do, do, do we go? I, uh, <laughs> I can. Uh, you I'm tell a, us. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a uh, half South African, half Canadian um, engineer. Um, uh, so I, I grew up uh, in, in both in Canada and in South Africa. Uh, between kind of Toronto and, and and Cape Town, I spent uh, the, the bulk of my my schooling in Cape Town and, and did a um, and and started as a mechanical uh, engineer or at least uh, pursued mechanical engineering at the at the, the University of Cape Town, um, and I did that uh, as a result of I, I met I did an internship at a 
uh, a small medical incubator, local medical incubator, um, when I, and I just kind of ignited a passion and I, and I thought this is so cool. You know, I come from a kind of a clinical family, uh, lots of doctors and, and people in, in healthcare. And, and so I, I kind of was, you know, drawn to that, that, that part of, 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 uh, of myself or of the, uh, you know, of industry. And, um, and so I, I pursued mechanical engineering and then I did a, a, uh, an MSc in bioengineering in, at the University of British Columbia in Vancouver. Um, and, you know, kind of through that, I, uh, you know, gained uh, kind of some, some exposure in, in the, uh, to the industry. And I, uh, and, and, I, and I kind of followed that route ever since. I, I never really strayed too far from the course. I think a lot of people, you know, come to the, um, to the field. They come to, you know, med tech from many avenues and some people come from sales or they come from, from the clinical side. I, I've kind of always wanted to be a, um, a, a, a med tech engineer uh, or a med, med tech executive now, I suppose. Um, but I've always always wanted that and always wanted to work in a, in a, in a product development um, capacity. And so that, that's the route that I followed. Um, yeah, so that, that I suppose is, is a bit of about my, my education. Um, and then from there, I, I kind of got, got into the workforce. Uh, I joined uh, a, a great company in, just outside Johannesburg, um, which was almost like a, um, a, a campus, you know, it had kind of several uh, companies on the campus. They, uh, and, and I think, you know, you mentioned that I've always kind of been in this, this, this startup role. And I think this is really where I, I figured it out and I, and I wanted to go that route. The, the first company that I worked for in this campus was, was, was built by, a, by a, an engineer who, um, who and, and that what I found very interesting, uh, he'd, he'd also done uh, mechanical engineering in, in South Africa and then he'd studied a, a master's in the US. And, and he's uh, substantially older than, than me. He's, um, he kind of did this in the, in the 80s. Um, and at that time, there was apartheid in South Africa. And, uh, and so uh, South Africa was heavily sanctioned. Um, and, and, you know, as part of this, this uh, kind of, you know, socio-political environment, he couldn't import the medical devices that he'd come across and the, clin the clinical team that he'd been working with in the US. And so when he moved uh, back to South Africa, he, he couldn't import them. And so he decided he was going to make them himself. And so kind of like a quintessential entrepreneur, he, he, um, he, he rented another apartment next to his own and he bought a lathe and, uh, you know, milling machine and tools and, and, he, and he built these, uh, they, he was building dental implants, you know, and, um, and really this is a, and he built a fantastic company um, that, uh, that is, uh, that, that, I, that I joined, you know, 30 years later. Um, and, and I joined on the, on the maxillofacial side, but it was great to be exposed to kind of all the other parts of the company that had been built subsequently, um, you know, with uh, orthopedic and, and, um, and tissue treatments for, you know, for car with cardiovascular applications. And, uh, and I think I took, you know, I, I put a lot of um, importance on, on mentorship 
and I think it's it's really important, and I think it's 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 important in all industries, but definitely in, in engineering. And and he was a was a great mentor, and, and seeing the kind of the path that he'd followed and the success that he found, and the and the passion that he had for for the industry and for what he did, um, kind of I, I thought, well, I really want to want to start my own thing eventually. Um, and uh, and and I kind of uh, I think that it would have been nice to have stayed longer. I stayed for a few years at, at that company and uh, working on it in a, in a small, really kind of close-knit engineering team, you know, working in, in, in maxillofacial implants. Um, I got to do fantastic work there and, and built kind of um, my skill set really from a technical perspective there. They had insourced a lot of the um, manufacturing and, you know, the, the, the technical side of of implant development, and they, you know, they have their own kinds of delivery systems, um, and uh, and then all the regulatory side too. You know, this, um, you know, so I got exposed to a bunch of sides of a, of a business and a business that's functioning. You know, one with, with they had, you know, dozens of products on the market, uh, both locally within South Africa and also in Europe and and, and the states. And so, you know, we I worked extensively um, on, you know applications for, for CE marking and and, uh, and regulatory approval with the FDA. And um, and so that was that was a fantastic experience. Um, yeah so that that was um that was I think a great place to kind of cut my teeth uh, class two so it's not as terrifying um, and um, um, but it wasn't it wasn't too long. Um, have you you've heard this Giovanni I don't know if I've told you all this stuff. Um, I, I have, and honestly, yeah. I, all this time, I, I mean, I know that you have been based in South Africa. I mean, everyone listening in right now, you can even hear it in his accent. But I actually didn't have any clue that um, you had partial aspects of your background from Canada, which is pretty cool. Um, mm -hmm. I'm actually from Buffalo, so if you spend time up in Toronto, then you were right up the street from me. I spent a lot of time in Toronto. <laughs> um, and then also, you know, you and I, and I'm assuming you're going to get getting to it very shortly, but you and I met when you were at SAT and you'll get yeah. into that, but I didn't know about your previous experience and, and I yeah. was a cardiovascular guy. So I'm learning right yeah. now. Yeah. Yeah. So that, I mean, that, that is really kind of uh, where I'm, I, I moved directly there to, to join that, that team um, in, in Cape Town. Um, they were developing uh, a uh, replacement aortic valve and they were, it was a brand new idea. It's, uh, it's based at, um, at Crudescure Hospital, which uh, I think many people in the cardiovascular field will have heard of, it was where the world's first heart trans took place with Chris Barnard. It's actually, you know, it's, it's based in the Chris Barnard building. And it was this brand new idea, um, which uh, with a small team, and, and it was a little early in my career, I thought this is too soon. But then I thought, you know, let's give it a go. I've, uh, it's, By know, the way, just to get you off real quick, you when you left, the company in Johannesburg and you moved to Cape Town, you're talking about straight access technologies, right? SAT. Yeah, okay. exactly. Exactly. So, the, you know, we, we joined, you know, I, I kind of joined the team there and, and, you know, the first couple of days we really, you know, we were just kind of sweeping an office, you know, it really was, was early stage, um, which was really exciting and, and a really um, dynamic and kind of varied team. Uh, and, and I think being based at the university there with the, with the university hospital, you know, gave, gave us access to enormous kind of facilities and experiences that you would really struggle to get elsewhere. We had a kind of an animal facility in the building and, uh, and uh, we had, um, 
you know, we had so much expertise uh, that, that we could draw upon. And there were a couple of really, really fantastic, um, you know, engineers and mentors at that, at that company. And it really uh, was, a, was a wonderful place to grow for, um, you know, and to, and to test out new ideas and, and to learn uh, about, you know, cardiovascular device development. And so I was there for, um, for, for, for several years, you know, working and, and, um, and, uh, and as, as, as through that, that work, which was also had a strong research application, um, that's kind of, I suppose, what, what led, led, led us uh, to, to ICI, uh, you know, and as I mentioned, kind of circumstance or, or luck or whatever we want to call it. Um, I was presenting at the, uh, the Innovators Day so that's that's what it's hey, I say innovators day. And yeah. um and uh and I think straight after my presentation, uh that's that's where we met. That's right. Uh, you you were very in a, in a very nice suit, as I recall. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> um, and I was dressed, I think, like an engineer. And um, <laughs> yeah, and that's um and so that was where we where we met and, and we kind of um and you and you and you mentioned to me that that they were uh, fantastic opportunities in Europe that that, uh, that you would love to, to discuss, and uh, and we kind of started talking, and um, and I think that uh, that you know uh, that, that that's kind of what led me to to Coramaze Technologies, um, and uh, Coramaze uh, is and, and was and, and is a real really near and dear to my heart. Um, as uh, as you mentioned, it is a German startup, and, and I suppose this is a long way, uh, the long route getting to recross cardio. But uh, but I think it's all important uh, to kind of because it is you know it, they're all linked. Um, but working with uh, you know I joined the team at Coronet Technologies in in Munich, um, and uh, and there we uh, we were they were in the midst of. of Early stage um, product development, um, and uh, and it wasn't long before uh, the company made the decision to to relocate the R and D from from Munich to uh, to Tel Aviv, and um, and that you know I think um, was difficult for my girlfriend and now wife to <laughs> to, to deal with all this uh, this moving around. We'd. Um, we, you know, it's been a it's been a hard a hard sell, um, convincing her to, to to follow me to to Germany. But but it was absolutely a wonderful move, um, both personally um, and 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 professionally. You know, Karmes was um, um, uh, thrived in, in that Israeli, you know, that Tel Aviv uh, ecosystem, as as you know, that is really the heart of of medtech. Definitely, what is a heart of medtech. And um, and 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 I did personally. I really loved it there. Um, so I worked there in um, in, in a kind of heading up the the R and D department of uh, which is you know in a, in a early stage company is, is a chunky part of the of the team. Um, but worked under some uh, you know some really fantastic uh, mentors there, um, and and super smart, capable. Colleagues and and you know folks who I I consider um, you know some of my like uh, closest kind of friends and, and colleagues still um, and and uh, and we spent I uh, spent you know a few very happy years um, uh, you know working on that that Coromes 
um, product, which is a, uh, a tricuspid and, um, and mitral uh, repair device. Um, and I think everything was going well um, and, until, until the pandemic um, came along. And, and by the way, yeah. I, 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 hope, I hope you feel comfortable enough to share it because when you told me this story, it absolutely blew my mind. So for all those listening, in, in quick summary, you heard about Tom's background, half South African, half Canadian, educated in South Africa, started his career in Johannesburg or right outside, moved over to South uh, Cape Town for straight access technologies. I moved him up to Munich for Coramaze. Coramaze moved over to Tel Aviv. And all of a sudden he's living in Israel. And there's a reason why he's back in South Africa right now. So you got to tell us that story. Yeah, so it's, it is, you know, everybody's got a story from, from the pandemic, from, from COVID. And, and, uh, and I'm no exception. Oh, um, so it, it was March of 2020. And, and uh, you know, COVID was, uh, was just starting. It was, it was in the news. Um, but, you know, nobody took it. Uh, that seriously, we didn't know what it, what it, what it entailed, and myself and, and my wife were leaving for a very short stint to uh, to fly back to Cape Town uh, for uh, some of our best friends' um, uh, wedding, and so we we left on a Thursday after work, as as one does, um, and you know I said that I'll, I'll see you guys next week uh, to to my colleagues, and and we made our way to the airport. Um, which was eerily empty, and um, and anybody who's flown through Ben Gurion knows how, how eerie that place is when it's empty. Um, and and you know, got on the plane, got off, uh, had a had, went to the wedding, and, and everything seemed okay. Um, you know, there was still there, there was still a lot of tension, but we found out on, on the Monday after the wedding, we were kind of packing up and getting ready to go back uh, back home to, to Tel Aviv. Um, that somebody at the at the wedding had uh, had tested positive for for COVID, um, one of the guests, and so we we had to isolate. And I, I forget if it was seven days or whatever it was at the time, but but during that 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 time, Israel closed its borders, and um, and you know one hundred percent to to non citizens, uh, those with uh, with work visas, and um, which even then. You know, uh, we weren't too concerned about. We thought, you know, how long can this possibly last for? And um, yeah, uh, I suppose, you know, one week turned to three weeks, which turned to five, um, which turned, you know, then it's okay. We're working remotely uh, with the team in Israel, and I said, you know, we'll hopefully next week we'll we'll, we'll jump on and move my flights and move my flights and and then got then sublet the apartment and <laughs> in Tel Aviv and. And uh, my wife had come out with hand luggage. I had, for some reason, packed a little bit heavier. Um, but, uh, but long story short, we had still have not returned um, to, to Israel. And, and we, uh, yeah. And uh, uh, I suppose to look at it from, from uh, you know, I think from a personal uh, perspective, it's, it's, it's tough, you know. It's a, there's a, it's, a, it's a real change. It's an incredible thing to kind of, to not be able to like you know to pack up to not be able to say goodbye um and um, but the the team at coronaise is uh, was and is you know you know fantastic and very kind of um you know supportive and, and has been and, and uh, i moved into a, into a 
uh, a less um, you know heavily involved role. It's difficult to manage the R and D of a hardware company remotely. Um, the number of times I asked engineers to hold an implant or a delivery system up to the camera, I, uh, I've lost count. Um, but but I moved into uh, kind of a a less uh, you know full time role um, with Carmes, which you know on the surface may seem uh, which was. Uh, you know, not not perfect. You know, you kind of it's uh, the product and the company is so so kind of close to my heart, and it's something which I've been involved with for so many years. Um, but then it allowed space for other opportunities. You know, kind of things that we were talking about for circumstance, um, and and to just kind of get swept along in in in, in what what the, what what life uh, had to hold, and that's kind of where. Where the recross story started, I could scale up uh, my involvement with uh, with uh, you know uh, I'd I'd met a couple of years before I'd met uh, Marta Antonucci and the team at at, uh, at CD Lab, which is a cardiovascular um, incubator in, in Milan, um, and kind of that change allowed me to 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 you know dig in or lean in to uh, to that to that. That the recross story, um, which was, uh, which has been a, a, a fantastic, you know, story in and, in and of itself. Um, you know, being able to to take on more, to to work on the on the project, to give more time, and then eventually, uh, you know, um, speaking with 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 Marta and the team there, you know, kind of proving out that concept, um, getting to a place where we said, okay, we we think that this is a this is something that we can do. That this is this this product has real real potential, and 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 we're excited about it. And you know we're we're ready to kind of take it to the next step. And uh, and that's where so I kind of was involved from the beginning, but in uh, not in terms of a champion role. You know where you're kind of just championing your project and and pushing, it. Um, and to where uh, to where it turned into a CEO role. You know, one where where you're driving the uh, the capital raise as best you can. You know, as a first time CEO. So, and, and here I, I can only um, uh, I can only speak to the you know the quality of the team at CD Lab and and, and the um, and again that that uh, you know being able to work with people, veterans of the industry, kind of uh, you know, martyrs are um, super capable and. Um, you know, executive, and, and she's been involved in, in so many um, areas, and has such a strong network that that um, that it was you know kind of a soft landing for me. Um, um, and and really, I think that's kind of uh, you know that really brings us to to where we are now. Um, it's uh, you know being I suppose doing it through Zoom um, was you know everybody was working through Zoom. Uh, and so it kind of forced us to try it and to give it a shot and to pitch over Zoom and, and to work, uh, you know, we're an Italian incubator. Um, uh, I was working, so it's, it's, it's nice because we're the same time zone. Um, so it doesn't make any real difference whether I'm, you know, in, in, the, in a different street or a different city or a different country or a different continent. You know, we, we can chat whenever we need to and, and we do. Um, and, and kind of technology allows that. Um, and, and I think everyone was kind of, you know, it was also, they weren't, people were available um, and people are getting back to being busy now. 
but but those that first kind of year of the pandemic people were available to talk and and to and so i felt like i got even more uh help and hand holding through that process um yeah and that kind of i think brings us to where we are with repass you know here here we are so that is arguably one of if not the most organic stories of how someone grew their career and became a ceo of a company and so now here we are talking to the ceo of recross cardio and um let's talk about quickly recross cardio and then we'll get into the capital raise what are you guys building i know that you alluded to what it is but what what stage of the company how old is the company how many people work in the company what is the technology and then we'll get into the fun capital raising stuff So Recross is uh, brand new. We incorporated last year. Um, we're Delaware-based, um, uh, at least headquartered, and uh, and operationally, I'm running it from from Cape Town. We've got two, well, including myself, three full-time uh, employees, uh, myself and two engineers, um, and 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 we work here. We've got a, a couple of consult consultants. Um, uh, We do, you know, we are early stage, so we've raised a seed round, and we're currently proving that out, um, looking at at raising a Series A in, in the coming year, and um, yeah, so so we are uh, trying to develop, or we are developing a a uh, atrial septal occluder device. So uh, uh, and so these. There are a few products on the market that are currently doing that right now. And these products have been around for, for many years and they were really kind of developed during a time when transeptal procedures were, were, were definitely not the norm. They were rare and there weren't a, a huge number of, of, of transeptal kind of options for patients. Um, and, and so, you know, closure of the defect was, was the primary goal. Um, however, the market has really changed uh, over the course of the last 10-15 years. The the number of transeptal procedures has has grown almost exponentially, and uh, and 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 that's been based on you know the the kind of number of options that are available for patients and the number of technologies that are coming onto the market, and um, and so there's a, there's a, there's a real need for uh, an occluder that allows or preserves access to the left heart. And that's really what we're developing. We're developing a, an occluder device that preserves patient options. And we think that it's going to be, um, you know, it's going to be um, absolutely necessary uh, in the future. And we think it's necessary right now. And in order to accomplish that necessary product that you're building, you have now successfully raised $1.25 million dollars for Recross Cardio. And this is your first time ever raising capital. So I want to just now focus this conversation. I have several areas and, and questions that I want to run with this just mm -hmm. to kind of get this full picture. But first and foremost, for all those nascent entrepreneurs listening in who've never raised capital yet, for all those who want to be entrepreneurs who will eventually raise capital, Tom, there was a, there was a day, a magical day on the calendar sometime in 2021 where you took on this project and it was the day that you had to learn that you were going to be responsible for raising this capital round. And historically your career had not prepared you for that. And there was this day where you're like, okay, shit, now what do I do? 
what happened and, and how did you take that day moving forward to the time that you raised 1.25 million? What did you do? And speak to the entrepreneurs who are the proverbial you who haven't been through this before. What was the aha moments? How did you even go about doing it? What was the first thing that you did? What were the, uh, the learning lessons, the major challenges that were super unexpected? Just tell us about that entrepreneurial learning lesson of I've never done it before and now I'm forced to do it. Go. Well, <laughs> trying to remember, trying to remember. I mean, I, you're giving me anxiety just thinking about that, that those first couple of weeks um, <laughs> or, or months, really. It's, um, you know, a lot of the time you, you just don't know and, and, and you're kind of, you're so lost, uh, you know. I was lucky, as I've mentioned, I worked with an incubator that is, you know, that, that provides enormous support. You know, they, uh, they uh, and, and, and so much, support. you know, everything from, 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 from uh, accounting support to legal support, you know, IP uh, technical developments to uh, mentorship and, and, um, and, and networking. Um, so that was lucky, but it, it's still, you know, I think, you know, everybody comes from their own background and their own skill set. And so you can, you bring that to the party and, and you know, everything to a hammer, everything looks like a nail. And so in the beginning, I thought, let, let me just do the technical stuff. I'm sure I can, I can just build this device. Let me just build the device. And then, and then, you know, and then we'll find the money. And, and, you, and, and so that's really how you start. And, and that's, um, that's what I did. Is I, is I thought let me let me design something because um, because that'll work and it, and it obviously doesn't uh, because you don't have the, the, the time you don't have the capacity you don't have money um, and uh, and and really what you need is is to raise this this capital so that you can build the team so that you can have the time you can have the money you can have the people and um, so I was as I mentioned super lucky. And to, to have the mentorship. And so that's where I would start. I would say for any, any entrepreneur who's wanting to, to do this, you know, is talk to people. Find somebody that has done it or that is in the industry. Listen to Project MedTech. You know, listen to, to, to other entrepreneurs that have done it um, and, and learn from them. Um, if, you, if you have the opportunity to work with an incubator, I can recommend it. I, I think it's... It, it's you know, I think that there's probably a lot of doctors out there um, and, and engineers who have who have ideas, um, and perhaps that they are uh, tentative to give away equity, or or they, they they don't know you know which way to go. But I think it's um, but you know, I think that that it it, it was it, it worked fantastically in in my case, and it, it's, it's something that I would that I would recommend um, is to go, is to follow that route. You know. How did you have the foresight to establish a company in Delaware first? And also, how does that benefit you to opening up access to the investors that ultimately invested into Recross? Yeah. So the Delaware, um, incorporating in Delaware was, is it kind of a, a, was a real discussion. You know, we, we, uh, in the beginning, it, we said, you know, incorporate wherever. Does it really matter? Let's just get started. And um, and and you know the more the more people that I spoke to, um, uh, we kind of we we came to the conclusion that Delaware is the best place to do it, 
there is uh, you know safety in numbers. Everybody's incorporates in Delaware, so so you kind of think, well, if everybody's doing it, it's, it's probably the right thing to do. It's it's kind of a strange uh, reason why companies do it. So I suppose the first thing is 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 incorporating in the U.S. is a is a good move strategically because a lot of the acquisitions that happen with the you know big strategics um, happen uh, you, you know purchasing and, and acquisitions and mergers you know the, those as far as I understand it. Um, seem to happen with American companies. And, and so I think it, it can simplify the process down the road. Um, as far as attracting capital from American companies, it's easier if they're putting it into another American, another American company. There's no you know, big cross-border um, um, you know, capital transfers. And, and I think that the, that the legislation is well understood um, by, by American investors. Um, the reason for Delaware in particular is uh, is one of uh, boringly jurisprudence. You know that's the reason that uh, that, that Delaware is, is so uh, so so favoured is, is that it just has a really long history of um, of uh, you know corporate legislation. And so uh, so everybody kind of understands the that and, and everybody knows the rules. And and so that's kind of. Uh, I think that and, and, and the tax, the tax rate. Um, but but the reason why I went there was I saw this was happening. We discussed it kind of extensively with the the you know with it within the, the incubator team and and some of the investors um, who'd invested in the incubator uh, are are um, you know they they said that, that they suggested that this that this would be a route to follow and 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 kind of that's what clinched it for us is that that if if other investors believe that this is a good place to do it. That you know, who are we to say otherwise? And and that's why that's why we incorporated in Delaware. So you're running the company from South Africa. The company yeah. is headquartered and incorporated in the United States, specifically in Delaware. And you yeah. have this amazing support from CV Labs, the incubator in Milan, Italy. Yes. Yeah. So so that, that's that's kind of that was during the I suppose the incubation phase. And um, we, we've subsequently spun out. So, so, so now we are uh, self-sufficient, um, and um, and and CB Lab is is uh, is you know a partner in, in, and and have a, and a board member, um, um, but uh, and and they're and they're still there to answer the phone when I when I when I have questions, um, and, they're, and they're still very supportive. But we are we are a standalone entity now, um, and 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 going forward, um, yeah. So with the 1.25 million that you raised, where did the investors come from? So that was, yeah. So, so geographically, um, well, we actually, originally we were thinking about, um, you know, starting with the series A raise. Um, and I think a lot of people do, uh, you know, you, you shoot for the, if you shoot for the moon, you'll land in the stars. So, so we, so we thought, let's go for a series A, we'll get tons of money and then we'll, and then we'll develop the product to, to, uh, to clinicals. And then and then sell the company, um, or 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 you know or or roll out a product. Um, but what we did was we ended up scaling back, and we said, okay, let's rather look for um, for for seed capital. Um, and so then then you change quite substantially on uh, your your strategy. You no longer um, you're pitching to very different people. You know, you're instead of pitching to to VC funds with a ticket size of five million dollars, you're pitching to to early stage VCs, of which there aren't that many. Um, we we were we were very niche focused. We wanted uh, we wanted smart money, and everybody talks about that. 
um, and, and I feel that's, I feel like we nailed it uh, there. there we've, uh, we've ended up with incredible, an incredible group of investors, um, but, but our targets were different from a series A to a seed. And so we decided to, to target the seed. So, so we scaled back on what we're trying to achieve with the capital that we, that we, we require. And, uh, and we changed our, our target audience. Um, you know, we look at very early stage, like I mentioned, hyper-focused uh, uh, VC funds and high net worth, high net worth individuals. Um, and, and so that's kind of the target that we have. And, and the way that we went about finding, yeah, yeah, go for it. Did they all come from the United States or were some in South Africa or were some in Europe? Where do they come from? Uh, about half off, half Europe, half US. Half Europe, um, half US. And, yeah. and you mentioned having the Delaware C Corp, it made it a little bit easier for obviously United States investors to invest right in the Delaware C Corp. How was that like? Was that even an obstacle for the, the European investors? No, it just took longer for the for the cash to reflect in the bank account. But um, but we had a, but we had good um, uh, you know before we incorporated we uh, I had uh, kind of we'd secured the investors uh, and so it was kind of a discussion amongst us as as now a team where is best to incorporate and and uh, and and uh, it was it was fairly unanimous amongst the the team of investors. You know, kind of thinking back, uh, like like how it actually played out. Is is um, is interesting, but it, it was it was certainly um, you know unanimous from our investors, which were as I mentioned, kind of half half two in Europe, two in the US, um, or, or there and thereabouts, um, who, who who said that you know a Delaware incorporation is 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 desirable. And when you're pitching and telling the story to these investors, I mean, you sound like when you speak about it, you're an American U.S. company, which you are on paper. You are in the bank. You are. Well, yes. So, so, so not not quite because so when I was pitching, um, you know, as far as raising that capital, we hadn't incorporated a company yet. We were uh, we were we were uh, CB Lab. So we were the 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 all the IP was domiciled in in, in Italy, and and that company was domiciled there. Um, but the it was implicit in in our in our pitching that that we would incorporate where best suited the needs of our uh, of the of the company, uh, and and so that's what so we have, didn't so once it's kind of a bit uh, you know you, you have to get one before the other so we, once we had a, an investment team that uh, that were committed and that we were going through that that process of you know figuring out company valuations and cap tables and shareholders agreements. Then we also were incorporating um, yeah, based on where, where, uh, and and that's why we were also so focused on getting um, people that are experienced in the industry, you know, savvy investors, serial uh, kind of entrepreneurs, and um, people, you know, you know, cardiovascular focused, uh, early stage VC, that sort of thing, so that. So that hopefully we can make the right decisions when it comes to those kind of choices. Where do you invest? Uh, where do you incorporate? Uh, and, and so on and so forth. So that's how it, that, that's how it works. We've talked a lot about on this podcast about how, especially early stage money, people, founders, and the team itself is really what people are investing in. I mean, that you're, you're investing in the opportunity and the possibility of those who are carrying this idea, which will certainly evolve and develop over time. But typically speaking, early stage money is invested into the people and the founders. Yeah. Is there any pushback whatsoever? Because 
obviously there's technologies and, and there's a world that exists in South Africa, but for all the, the other countries in Europe and United States and North America and everywhere else around the world and people who are listening in, they're like, okay, South Africa, bottom of the world. Um, he's now down in South Africa, but running a company that has U European affiliations, US affiliations. Was there any pushback from investors on, Tom, you're based in South Africa, what are you doing? I, I, absolutely. There was definitely, there was, it was definitely discussion. Um, I think that it's a, it's a different world that we live in now than, than 20 years ago, certainly. This is a, a world of, of Zoom. Um, and it's a world that, uh, where, that we are hyper-connected. And so it really, I think, doesn't make an enormous difference whether uh, I'm based, uh, where we're based, as, as long as we are well-connected. That being said, um, you know, there are some, some benefits to being in the States if you're working in the States, um, you know, because there's, there's that time zone uh, difference. But, but, you know, I'm sitting here at, at Central European time right now. And and it and it it's it's made very very little difference. It's an it's an overnight flight um, to to Europe or to or to the East Coast, and and so there you know it's a consideration. But I found that living and working in, in Israel, uh, it was as difficult to get parts from the U.S. as it is in Europe as it, as it is in South Africa. You know, I um, I had I had parts recently cut. Um, and they were uh, they were shipped on Tuesday night, and they arrived they arrived at my at my door here in Cape Town on Friday. It's uh you know, and I don't think that would that and that it's quite possible it would have been slower had I been in uh, in in the you know in Israel and had to get go through Israeli customs. Um, you know, that's it's uh so so there was pushback, and you know, it may come to a point um, for for Series A or Series B where I, I physically need to be. Uh, where uh, you know where that that ne next round of investment is coming from, where that 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 hub is is that uh, that it, that arises that that is best suited for the company, and that's okay. Um, but uh, but but for now, it's it's been um, it's been fantastic to work from here. You know, we there are definitely um, advantages to being uh, in a in a slightly cheaper environment. You know, you can you can save capital and extend your runway, um, while still you know gaining a huge number of benefits of of, of working uh, in the in the in the European time zone and, and that. So so uh, I think that there's there's positives and negatives and there's pros and cons, much like anywhere. So I'm going to do something a little unique this time. I, I try whenever I do these podcasts not to date them. It, it's happened in the past, but my whole objective mm -hmm. of these podcasts is to really give objective stories that are timeless for understanding how to raise capital and really what entrepreneurs have to go through. But I'm going to have a little fun with this one. For all those listening in and whenever this podcast does get a chance to get released, this is April 8th, 2022. And I believe the time that we had scheduled our original podcast was October 4th, 2021. Yeah, yes. <laughs> and the reason being is... Um, being a first-time entrepreneur, raising capital, I hear it very regularly, especially from first-time entrepreneurs who are raising capital. Like, oh yeah, you know, I have to go raise five hundred thousand. I got to go raise two million. Um, yeah, well, how long is it going to take you? Oh, we'll get it done in two months. We'll get it done in three months. Whatever it may. And I'm like, oh, okay, so you're about to go through a learning lesson. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm dating. I'm dating this right now because I wanted to explain to these entrepreneurs. It is 
six months and four days later from when we initially wanted to do this podcast. Um, the reason being is, here's my question, Tom. When did you start the capital raise? When did you officially start the capital raise? And when could you proclaim to the world that it's done? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's uh, it's uh, you're completely right, and and uh, and I imagine you have a chuckle every time you hear that that, that confidence entrepreneur saying, "Yeah, I'll be back. We can chat in three months' time when once I've got the money in the bank." Um, I, I certainly would if I was in your shoes. Um, so we, I officially started in um, the first pitch was in March of twenty one. Um, so so that was when we officially started, and. We officially closed, as in money hit the bank in December of 21. So nine months. Um, and like I said, I think that's. I think that that might even be a little quick. Um, you know, based on kind of some of the other uh, uh, capital raising, you know, colleagues that I that I've that I know, and and I, and I and that's almost certainly due to kind of coming from that that incubator style nest. Um, which helped out, but, you know, that process itself, you know, there are so many kind of uh, intriguing aspects to it and things that you just don't expect kind of, you know, when I started out, I thought all I need is that, that term sheet, you know, once I have a signed term sheet, then I'm done. And, and that just certainly isn't true. You know, once you, once we, you had, you know, we had kind of investors who were, who were uh, in and, and interested, it took months. To, to kind of, you know, dot all the I's and cross all the T's. And then it, it was, you know, getting the capital in the bank was difficult, just, you know, for, for no real reason. It just kind of these things took time, but all the documentation, the incorporation of the company, the bylaws, all that kind of thing, you know, the shareholders agreements, that all just takes a lot of time. There's a lot of back and forth. So, so that would be one thing, which I would say, you know, factor that in three months. From 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 sign term sheet to 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 uh, to closing the round, um, and then factor in a couple of weeks from closing the round to money in the bank, and um, uh, maybe even a month. And um, and so you know that kind of you, you can just put aside four months. That once once you think you've finished, you can add four months, no problem. Um, but you know there there was other other funny things like we were, I did a, a big chunk of the capital raise over the European summer and. And it just it just over the northern hemisphere of summer, which just slowed everything down. <laughs> you, you, you know, you think um, I was I was speaking to a, to a serial entrepreneur, and, and, and she's invested in, in in multiple kind of projects. And she said, "Yeah, if you start your capital raise in in May, you're not going to close before autumn. Like you know, and you're going to close in winter. You know, so so you know, so she said, it doesn't matter. But nobody closes." In, in July, it's just not done. <laughs> well, that nine month time frame, especially for being a first time entrepreneur, I, I, I will agree with you. It, it falls within the, the range of normalcy, but also maybe a little quicker, like you mentioned. Um, typically speaking, when I ask the question objectively, not tied to a certain story, you know, entrepreneurs will throw out it's minimally six months um, and bank on anywhere between six months to nine months, maybe a year ish, something like that. And that's typically that normal range. Um, I've had two podcasts with guests that I'll, I'll talk about the extremes. Um, one of them is Simon Sontag. He's, he's up actually ironically in Munich and hilarious, funny story in a podcast. He's a great friend of mine as well. Um, was doing it during the pandemic and actually 
<laughs> was pitching and finalizing his capital raise and his investor who was on the screen, um, what they thought was a heist, someone came up and actually put a gun to his head um, with all of the investors currently on the round that they were doing the closing call with. And we found out later on that that particular investor was just wrapped up in some illegal stuff and it ended up being the police force who came out and take him down, but it did it wow. on camera. <laughs> wow. Set him back um, on the close and um, ended up because of the major setback, which is like COVID, you can't bank for that happening. Yeah, it ended up yeah. taking about 18 months and that's with a major setback. And then on the antithesis of that, I had Todd Eusen, CEO of Active Surgical on here, um, came from a corporate career, left Olympus, joined Active Surgical in January. And I think per his story, he officially started making the calls and knocking on doors in March um, and closed a, a significant round by June. And that was the first time wow. CEO raising wow. capital, which is the other extreme. But that mm -hmm. middle normalcy is everyone says minimally bank six months, which is obviously the advice that you just shared and gave. But realistically, that six, nine, 12 months is that comfort zone of, of understanding how to raise capital. So I, I wanted to, to jump in to this. In terms of education, right? Like from the business aspect, mm -hmm. you figured out that you weren't raising a series A, you weren't pitching to VCs anymore. You were pitching to high net worth invest, investors as well as very early stage VCs because you were raising a seed round. Mm -hmm. That's obviously through trial and error, but all the minutia that goes along with that cap tables, shareholders agreements, like you mentioned, working with attorneys on setting up all the paperwork and documentation. Um, what are the terms actually meaning? Like, I'm assuming you didn't know what some of the terms, even acronyms meant previous to really raising this. How did yeah, you go about yeah. that, that educational aspect? Like, did you read a book? Did you only yeah. talk to people? Like, what did you do if you could give advice to those entrepreneurs listening in? You know, if I could, um, if I could do parts of it again, that that capital raise is something I would do very differently. And um, and I'd say that probably just because there was just such enormous learnings. Um, you know, I I would start earlier with the capital raise, and I would I would and and I'd, and when I say start early, I don't mean start preparing earlier. Or, or, or start doing more research, or I would say I'd start pitching um, because you learn more in your first pitch than I think all of the rest combined. Um, you know, you immediately kind of figure out uh, that your deck is too long and that it doesn't include anything that anyone is interested in um, who, who, who's going to give you money. You know, I spent tons of time talking about the technology and how I'm going to solve the technical challenges of the um, of, of the, the product, when in actual fact, what investors are looking for is, you know, what's the market, who's the team, probably who's the team first, then what's the market, um, you know, what's the clinical need um, and how much money are you looking for? You know, like uh, some, sometimes I'd, I'd pitch and, and they'd say, don't, you know, let's not even talk about your debt. Just how much money do you want? And, and who's on your team? And, the, and that's a, which is incredibly like, you know, you're just blindsided by that when you come from a, from a technical background. And I'm sure it's the same. If you come from a medical background, you talk about the clinical need, you know, and, uh, and, and, and so that was uh, just a huge learning curve and, and a place where I would start and say, start pitching, uh, just, just get it out there. Um, uh, a colleague that I work with, a clinician, he says to he, he said to me, he's, he's, he's very involved in, in startup. And he said to me, if you're not embarrassed by, your product when you ship when you're shipping it you're too late um, 
you know, you, you, and, and the point he's making is, is just get out there. You know, the place where you learn is by trying. Um, and, and, and I think, you know, I was wildly embarrassed by my first pitch, um, which I think is the right thing to do. And I should have probably been more embarrassed. I should have started earlier. Um, so that's the one thing. Um, and then those, those critical questions that, um, that the, you know, and I said that perhaps I spoke too much about the technology and I, I certainly did. And a lot of, a lot of um, investors don't seem to be that interested in, in the tech, you know, in what is this product and how, and how are you going to build it? Um, they're, they're interested in, 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 you know, who the market is and they're interested in who the team is and they're interested in how much money you're looking for. So, so, so you've kind of got to, you've got to clarify your markets, clarify your story. Um, but you also do need to think about, about the, the product development and perhaps not um, directly what you're developing, but the steps that you need to take in order to develop it. So, when, when, so that when investors say, you know, how much money do you need? How much money are you looking for? You can give a reasonable response. Um, you can say that, that I'm looking to do X, Y, and Z. Um, you know, you can build a budget. Uh, how much is it going to cost you to run this company for a year or however long it takes for you to prove out uh, what you're trying to prove, you know, um, and so that you, you can give that feedback. And when, and, uh, and when the inevitable question arises, kind of, you know, how much is this company worth? What's the valuation? You know, how much is my, my investment going to buy me? That you can also give a reasonable response there. And, and, and it's, it's very dark art, you know, valuing a company, a pre-revenue company, um, and like, a, like a tech bear startup. But uh, the way that I did it, which I think made sense, was, you know, to just look at, at other companies you know what was how much it was was invested in them and what did they sell for and what was the the size of the market that they they you know pro, that they are that they're targeting and then to try and find a place that you fit in with uh, with your product and your market um, and and what you think that your company may be worth and how much you think it will cost for you to get there and, and then you can kind of figure out that that valuation and and hope and hopefully the investors they say, yeah, that seems reasonable. You know, um, that's that's what you want. So I, I, I'm sensitive to time, but I have a couple questions just quickly that I wanted to get through real quick before I let you go. Um, <clears throat> I, I would have loved to ask it more expansively and gone through some of that grinding bigger picture. But I want to ask how you found like the mechanics of how you ultimately found the four investors that invested into your company. I would have loved to gone through like the bigger white noise of like who ultimately didn't invest in why and all that other stuff. But I, I think we can learn a lot from the actual ones who gave you money, the money that hit your bank. There was yeah. four of them. What were the storylines that ultimately led you to each one of those four? Like, how did you meet those? Was it from an Excel spreadsheet? Did you meet them on LinkedIn? Did CV Labs introduce you to all of them? Did you meet them on the telephone because some guy from the coffee shop told you about them? What yeah. happened? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, short answer here is, um, is uh, it, it came through the CV Lab network. And, uh, and I think, you know, when nobody's invested, that's the hardest time to find money because everybody asks. Who's invested so far? And you say, "Oh, sorry, no one." And and then they say, "Oh, well, that's you know, that's not a good sign." Even though you've only been pitching for a little while, um, but as soon as you get that first person, then it becomes much easier. When you say, "Oh, well, the, the rounds," and especially and when the round is is eighty percent full, then it's the easiest. 
you know, and actually we ended with a uh, with a with almost a, with with an oversubscribed round. We had we had more people wanting to invest than what we needed, and so we, um, which was a fantastic place to be. But the beginning is that's the difficulty, and it was a it was a um, a, a uh, an investor through the CD Lab network, which is why I keep saying that it's such a great thing to have that network and to speak to that, and maybe even work through an incubator, and then that investor then who who then likes the product and, and understands it and, and, and backs it and who you like and, and who you say, this is a perfect person for us and they've got the right skill set and they've got the right experience and they are the, the essence of what we thought think of as smart money. Uh, then that investor brought in uh, kind of contacts um, and those contacts brought in contacts and they said, yeah, this is our, and, and that's how it was built. So it was really kind of built of one uh, uh, the, the, you just need the first one, I feel. And it made it a lot easier from, from my perspective. And, and I'm sure everybody else has a different story, but that's how it worked for, for me and for I, us. And, and that's a huge learning point. And, and we've heard that in multiple times before about how you, know, you just need that first one or you need to show traction that other investors believe. And then once yeah. other investors believe, yeah. it's a much easier story to sell the other investors to join. Last, exactly. question, last question, I think that we can have some learning lessons here and then I'll let you go. Um, You've now told us that you originally started pitching to venture capitalists because you thought you were going to raise a series A. You end up raising the seed round. We talked about the four investors that you ultimately found that filled that seed round. You're planning on raising a series A. And you had mentioned that looking back on the seed round that you did, if you could do it all over again, you would have that experience and understanding of how to do it differently. My -hmm. question for you is, and, and I hope to have you back on so we could tell the second story in the future. But yeah, yeah. Having, having now this first grinding experience behind you and on your belt, you've raised mm-hmm. money, you've, you've gone through the, the ups and downs. You now are going to plan an, another round and, and it's going to be for mm-hmm. a different audience. It's going to be for the Series A investors. Talk us through just at least some of your hypothetical thoughts. How are you preparing and what do you expect and what are you looking for in this next round? How, how are you going to go about it differently? And what are some of the easier things and some of the ahas that you might have because of the experience you already have? Yeah. So um, that, that starting early, that's what I'm definitely doing that. I, um, so I, I will be presenting it at, 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 at in Dublin in a couple of weeks. Um, I think uh, starting early is is is, a, is is one of the the ways that I'll that I'll go. We've also, you know, we've made fantastic kind of progress quicker than I thought um, just in in the past four months, um, which has been which has been which is wonderful. But it has meant that I that I'm feeling more confident uh, about about starting even earlier than I than I thought. So that would be the, the so that's uh, the one thing I'll do differently. The, definitely. Um, I'll, I'll be speaking to uh, new investors, but but through the process of, of that seed round, I, I made a lot of contacts, and uh, and, I'll, and a lot of folks who I spoke to really really liked the idea, and they said that the ticket size was just too small, for it. you know, because we kind of did start at that Series A um, um, uh, scale, and really, so that's 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 the place where I'm, I'm starting is a, is a, I'm speaking with those contacts that I've. Built and uh, and and actually that's that's a is a is another learning is that you know by starting early you speak to to investors and even if they don't invest they often will say you know what speak to these guys these are what, that that would be perfect 
for you. Um, and, and that's uh, what I'm, uh, I'm hoping and kind of expecting will, will, will happen. And I will also, um, I suppose, finally, uh, I will unashamedly look uh, the, 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 the network of CD Lab and, and the network of my current investors uh, to say, listen, who do you guys go? And, 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 uh, and then the usual Excel grunt work as I go through my, <laughs> my list of, of, of BC funds. That's excellent. Tom Gerhardt, CEO and founder of Recross Cardio. I want to say thank you so much for your time. I learned that you're half Canadian today and a lot more. (laughs) (laughs) I had an awesome time being with you again, especially after all these years of knowing each other. And I'll see you in a few weeks in Dublin, which I'm super excited about. And by the way, everyone listening in, that's the MedTech Strategist Conference. It's an absolutely incredible conference. So please do look into it for next year or even their other conferences held in San Francisco and Minneapolis and a couple others. So anyway, Tom, I want to say thank you so much for your time today, for demystifying this process, for sharing all your war stories and journeys of how you built your career and also ultimately landed 1.25 million for Recross Cardio. This is the MedTech Money podcast series where we demystify raising and investing capital. Thank you so much, Tom. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the podcast. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe and leave a review. If you need anything from the podcast, you can always contact us at info at projectmedtech.com. Thanks for listening and have a great day.